Welcome to Celebrate Poe, episode 218, Bondage. This is the first of three episodes of Celebrate Poe dealing with the great Frederick Douglass. Now, Frederick Douglass was a man of great accomplishment who made a genuine difference in the lives of millions of people. And Poe and Douglass were basically contemporaries, born approximately 10 years apart. While Edgar Allan Poe and Frederick Douglass came from vastly different backgrounds and writing styles, they both shared a mystery of suspense in their respective works. Yes, suspense. Edgar Allan Poe weaved psychological suspense by tapping into the deepest fears and anxieties of the human psyche. His stories, often featuring dark and mysterious settings, explored themes of death, madness, and the supernatural. Frederick Douglass, a formerly enslaved abolitionist and author, used suspense in his writings to highlight the injustices of slavery and advocate for social change. His works, such as The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, kept readers on the edge of their seats as they recounted his harrowing experiences under slavery and his daring escape to freedom. Poe would often use dark, isolated settings in his works, such as crumbling mansions or stormy landscapes, to create a, a sense of unease and even claustrophobia. Uh, and his vivid and often grotesque imagery appeared to the reader's sense of fear and disgust. Poe's stories often featured unpredictable twists and turns, keeping the reader guessing until the very end, and his characters were often tormented by inner demons, often facing impossible choices. Of course, such impossible choices added to the overall suspense. Douglas would often slow down the pace of his narrative of key moments, building tension and anticipation. He would end chapters at critical junctures, leaving the reader eager to know what happened next. Douglas used vivid descriptions of his experiences to evoke empathy and outrage in his readers. And he often concluded his narratives with a call to action, urging readers to join the fight against slavery. In conclusion, while Poe and Douglas employed suspense in vastly different ways, they both used it to achieve powerful effects. Poe's suspense explored the dark corners of the human psyche, while Douglas's suspense exposed the evils of slavery and inspired readers to take a stand for justice. But there is no direct evidence that Edgar Allan Poe ever mentioned Frederick Douglass in his writings or letters, or that Douglass ever wrote about Poe. While they were contemporaries who lived in the same region of the United States for a time, their paths never seemed to have crossed each other in any documented way. Some scholars believe that they even lived within a few blocks of each other at one point in the Baltimore area. However, there's no record of them interacting. As for social circles, Poe primarily moved within literary and journalistic circles, while Douglas was deeply involved in the abolitionist movement. Their social spheres most likely wouldn't have touched much. Now, Poe's views on slavery were complex and contradictory. 
While he didn't actively support ab abolition, some critics believe he also expressed criticism of the institution on moral grounds. Douglas, of course, was a leading voice against slavery and its injustices. So the rest of this and the following podcast episodes are about Frederick Douglass. I could do an entire podcast series on just the life, times, and works of Frederick Douglass alone, but this and the following episodes will have to suffice for now. As for this and the following episodes, I'm going to read from some of the works of Frederick Douglass. I wish I could, I could afford to have a, a James Earl Jones or a Denzel Washington read the works in their incredible acting styles and commanding voices. Uh, but uh, I'm just going to go ahead and try and give the words um, an attempt in my natural voice. For me to try and imitate an African-American speaker would come across as insulting and wildly inappropriate. By the way, when I use the terms colored boy or colored school, I am using the terms as originally written and not as insults. Now, Frederick Augustus Washington Bailey was born into slavery on the eastern shore of the Chesapeake Bay in Talbot County, Maryland. His birthplace was likely his grandmother's canyon, cabin, <laughs> a cabin. In successive autobiographies, and Douglas wrote three autobiographies, he gave more precise estimates of where or when he was born, uh, his final estimate being 1817. Various historians have determined that Douglas was born in February of 1818. Though the exact date of his birth is unknown, he chose to celebrate February the 14th as his, as his birthday, remembering that his mother called him her little Valentine. Now, Douglas's mother, enslaved, was of African descent, and his father, who may have been his master, was apparently of European descent. In his narrative, published in 1845, the same year that Poe published The Raven, Frederick Douglass wrote, My father was a white man. According to David W. Blight's excellent 200, 2018 biography of Douglass, quote, For the rest of his life he searched in vain for the name of his true father. Douglass's genetic heritage likely also included Native American. Douglass said his mother, Harriet Bailey, gave his, him his name, Frederick Augustus Washington Bailey, and after he escaped to the North uh, in September of 1838, he took the surname Douglas, having already dropped uh, his two middle names. He later wrote of his earliest times with his mother, The opinion was also whispered that my master was my father, but of the correctness of this opinion I know nothing. My mother and I were separated when I was but an infant, it is a common custom in the part of Maryland from which I ran away to part children from their mothers at a very early age. I do not recollect of ever seeing my mother by the light of day. She was with me in the night. She would lie down with me and get me to sleep, but long before I waked, she was gone. See, the mother was working so hard during the day, and she certainly wasn't allowed to leave the plantation. So the only time she could see her son was to see him at nighttime. 
After separation from his mother during infancy, young Frederick lived with his maternal grandmother, Betsy Bailey, who was also enslaved, and his maternal grandfather, Isaac, who was free. Betsy would live until 1849. Frederick's mother remained on the plantation about 12 miles away, visiting Frederick only a few times before her death when Frederick was seven years old. Returning much later, about 1883, to purchase land in Talbot County that was meaningful to him, Frederick Douglass was invited to address a quote-unquote colored school. He said, I once knew a little colored boy whose mother and father died when he was six years old. He was a slave and had no one to care for him. He slept on a dirt floor in a hovel and in cold weather would would crawl into a meal bag head foremost and leave his feet in the ashes to keep them warm. Often he would roast an ear of corn and eat it to satisfy his hunger, and many times he has crawled under the barn or stable and secured eggs, which he would roast in the fire and eat. That boy did not wear pants like you do, but a linen shirt. Schools were unknown to him, and he learned to spell from an old Webster's spelling book and to read and write from posters on cellar and barn doors and barn doors while boys and men would help him. He would then preach and speak and soon became well known. He was to become presidential elector, United States marshal, United States recorder, United States diplomat, and accumulated some wealth. He wore broadcloth cloth and, and didn't have to divide crumbs with the dogs under the table. That boy was Frederick Douglass. Now, at the age of six, Douglass was separated from his grandparents and moved to Y House Plantation, that's W-Y-E, where an Aaron Anthony worked as overseer. After his overseer died in 1826, Douglas was given to Lucretia Ald, wife of Thomas Ald, who sent him to serve Thomas's brother Hugh Ald and his wife Sophia Ald in Baltimore, and I'll talk about them later. From the day he arrived, uh, Sophia saw to it that Douglas was properly fed and clothed and that he slept in a bed with sheets and a blanket. Douglas described her as a kind and tender-hearted woman who treated him as she supposed one human being ought to treat another. Douglas felt that he was lucky to be in the city, where he said enslaved people were almost freedmen compared to those on plantations. When Douglas was about 12, Sophia Auld began teaching him the alphabet. Her husband, Hugh Auld, disapproved of the tutoring, feeling that literacy would encourage enslaved people to desire freedom. Douglas later referred to this as the first decidedly anti-slavery lecture he had ever heard. Very well, thought I, wrote Douglas, knowledge unfits a child to be a slave. I instinctively assented and the proposition, and from that moment, I understood the direct pathway from slavery to freedom. Here he came to the conclusion that education could break the bonds of slavery. Under her husband's influence, Sophia came to believe that education and slavery were incompatible, and one day, 
snatched a newspaper away from Douglas. She stopped teaching him altogether and hid all potential reading materials, including her Bible, from him. In his autobiography, Douglas related how he learned to read from white children in the neighborhood and by observing the writings of the men with whom he worked. While living in Baltimore, Douglas internalized his feelings about wanting to uh, learn to read and write while uh, being very careful about approaching the idea of a freedom that he ached for, feelings that he wrote about in My Bondage and My Freedom, about an occurrence on a Baltimore wharf. I went one day to the wharf and seeing two Irishmen unloading a large cargo, I went on board, unasked, and helped them. When we had finished the work, one of the men came to me aside and asked me a number of questions, and among them, if I were a slave. I told him I was a slave and a slave for life. The good Irishman gave his shoulders a shrug and seemed deeply affected by the statement. He said, It was a pity so fine a little fellow as myself should be a slave for life. Then both had much to say about the matter and expressed the deepest sympathy with me and the most decided hatred of slavery. They went so far as to tell me that I ought to run away and go to the north, that I should find friends there, and that I would be as free as anybody. I, however, pretended not to be interested in what they said, for I feared they might be treacherous. White men have been known to encourage slaves to escape and then to get the reward. They have kidnapped them and returned them to their masters. And while I'm mainly inclined to the notion that these men were honest and meant me no ill, I feared it might be otherwise. I nevertheless remembered their words and their advice and looked forward to an escape to the North as a possible means of gaining the liberty for which my heart panted. Douglas continued secretly to teach himself to read and write. He often said that knowledge is the pathway from slavery to freedom. As Douglas began to read newspapers, pamphlets, political materials, and books of every description, this new realm of thought led him to question and condemn the institution of slavery. In later years, Douglas credited the Columbian Orator, an anthology that he discovered at about age 12, with clarifying and defining his views on freedom and human rights. First published in 1797, the book is a classroom reader containing essays, speeches, and dialogues to assist students in learning reader and grammar. He later learned that his mother had also been literate, about which he would later declare, I am quite willing and even happy to attribute any love of letters I possess and for which I have got, despite of prejudices, only too much credit, not to my admitted Anglo-Saxon paternity, but to the native genius of my stable, unprotected, and uncultivated mother, a woman who belonged to a race whose mental endowments is at present fashionable to hold in disparagement and contempt. In 1833, Thomas Hall took Douglas back from Hugh uh, as a way of punishing Hugh, Douglas later wrote. Uh, Thomas sent Douglas to work for Edward Covey, C-O-V-E-Y, a poor farmer who had a reputation as a 
quote-unquote slave breaker. He whipped Douglas so frequently that his wounds had little time to heal. Douglas later said that the frequent whippings broke his body, soul, and spirit. The 16-year-old Douglas finally rebelled against the beatings, so apparently they didn't totally break his spirit, and he fought back. After Douglas won a physical confrontation, Covey never tried to beat him again. In My Bondage and My Freedom, Douglas was to later write, If at any one time of my life more than another I was made to drink the bitterest dregs of slavery, that time was during the first six months of my stay with Mr. Covey. We were working all weathers. It was never too hot or too cold. It could never rain blow, snow, or hail too hard for us to work in the field. Work, 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 work was scarcely more the order of the day than the night. The longest days were too short for him, and the shortest nights were too long for him. Uh, I was somewhat, it was somewhat unmanageable when I first went there, but after a few months of his discipline and him trying to tame me, Mr. Covey somehow succeeded in breaking me. I was broken in body, soul, and spirit. My natural elasticity was crushed. My intellect languished. The disposition to read departed. The cheerful spark that lingered about my eye died. The dark night of slavery closed in upon me. And behold, a man transformed me into a brute. Sunday was my only leisure time. I spent this in a sort of beast-like stupor between sleep and wake under some large tree. At times I would rise up, a flash of energetic freedom would dart through my soul accompanied, accompanied with a faint beam of hope, flickered for a moment, and then vanished. I sank down again, mourning over my wretched condition. I was sometimes prompted to take my life, and, and that of Mr. Covey, but was prevented by a combination of hope and fear. My sufferings on this plantation seem now like a dream rather than a stern reality. Still, Douglas came to see the physical fight that he had with Covey later as life-transforming and introduced the story in his autobiography as such. You have seen how a man was made a slave you shall see how a slave was made a man. Douglas was more determined to escape from his masters than ever. He later wrote in My Bondage and My Freedom regarding his thoughts, I cannot describe the tempest and tumult of my brain. The reader will please to bear in mind that in a slave state, an unsuccessful runaway is not only subjected to cruel torture and sold away to the far south, but he is frequently execrated by the other slaves. He is charged with making the condition of the other slaves intolerable by laying them all under the suspicion of their masters, subjecting them to greater vigilance and imposing greater limitations on their privileges. I dreaded murmurs from this quarter. It is difficult, too, for a slave master to believe that slaves escaping have not been aided in their flight by some one of their fellow slaves. 
When therefore a slave is missing, every slave on the place is closely examined as to his knowledge of the undertaking, and they are sometimes even tortured to make them disclosed when they are suspected of knowing of such escape. Nevertheless, Douglas tried to escape from the, the place where he was, who had hired him from his owner. Unfortunately, Douglas was betrayed in his attempts at escape. In 1837, Douglas met and fell in love with Anna Murray, a free black woman in Baltimore, about five years his senior. Her free status strengthened his belief in the possibility of gaining his own freedom. Anna Murray encouraged him and supported his efforts by aid and money. By the way, Anna Douglas would later be Frederick's wife for 44 years. On September the 3rd, 1838, Douglas again attempted to escape, but this time he boarded a northbound train of the Philadelphia, Wilmington, and Baltimore Railroad in Baltimore. The area where he boarded was formerly thought to be just a short distance east of the train depot. But in reality, the depot at the Canton Depot of the Philadelphia, Wilmington, and Baltimore Railroad on Boston Street in the Canton neighborhood of Baltimore was much, much further east. Although he ended up only some 20 miles or 32 kilometers from the Maryland-Pennsylvania state line, it was easier to continue by rail through Delaware, another slave state. Dressed in the sailor's uniform provided to him by Anna Murray, who also gave him part of her savings to cover his travel costs, he carried identification papers and protection papers that he had obtained from a free black seaman. Join Celebrate Poe for the second of three episodes regarding Frederick Douglass. Episode 219, Freedom. Sources include Life and Times of Frederick Douglass, written by himself, his earliest life as a slave, his escape from bondage, and his complete history to the present time, My Bondage and My Freedom, and Life and Times of Frederick Douglass, all by Frederick Douglass. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe.